Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where today we've got the former chief of staff to the National Security Council under President Trump, the former National Security Advisor to Vice President Mike Pence, General Retired Keith Kellogg. Yes, he has one of the nation's premier national security experts, one of the big thinkers in the Trump doctrine on ending endless wars. And he's here to talk about Afghanistan, Cuba, China, hacking, all the things that are dominating the national security debate uh, in our country today. He's one of the big thinkers, respected on all sides of the aisle, and an important voice in all things national security. We're going to be talking to him here in the Freedom Phone Studios in Washington, D.C. That's right. For the next month, you can get a Freedom Phone exclusively or under a special offer from Just the News. Uh, just by going to justthenews.com slash Freedom Phone, we had Eric Finman, the founder of the Freedom Phone Company, a company dedicated to privacy, to free speech, to a new store system for Android apps. Some of the best people in the country working on a new idea for phones, one where your privacy is protected and you're alerted when it's not, and where apps that embrace freedom of speech are the norm, not the exception in the store really important group. That's why we're calling our studios this month the Freedom Phone Studios, and we're so glad that you're able to check out the offer. If you want to check it out, you want to support Just the News, you want to support what Eric is doing at Freedom Phone, just go to justthenews.com slash Freedom Phone right now, and you'll get exactly all you need to know to make a good decision on whether to buy this extraordinary phone. I've got one. I love it. I can't stop using it uh, soon. In the next couple of days, I think our app, the Just the News app, will be on the Freedom Phone. So very exciting. All right, folks, uh, we're going to go take a quick commercial break. When we come back, you know what? You got it. We're going to go talk to retired General Keith Kellogg, the former National Security Advisor to Vice President Mike Pence and the former Chief of Staff to the National Security Council under President Donald Trump one of the really big thinkers on the national security side. A lot to talk to him about China, Cuba, hacking, Afghanistan, you name it. We're going to cover it all in just a little bit right after this commercial break. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. 
They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, a great American military hero, great national security thinker, and an all-around great guy, retired three-star general, former national security advisor to President Trump and Vice President Mike Pence, is joining us, General Keith Kellogg. Uh, General, good to have you on board. Hey, John, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. It is an honor to have you here. And there's so much going on in the world right now. And you and I were talking off air here a little bit. The a lot of people are having this conversation, which is they really can't detect uh, the foreign policy of the Biden administration. You know, the Trump doctrine was so clear from the moment you guys got into the White House. But there's a lot of confusion, a lot of mumbled uh, responses, muted responses. Is is that a fair uh, perception what people are seeing now? Yeah, John, I really think it is. I mean, uh, frankly, we're, we're looking for his foreign policy. We can't find it. And I think <laughs> part of it is... Uh, you know, the way I look at it with their policy right now, they seem to be, as, I, as I've said before, whistling past the graveyard. And what I mean by that is they seem to be ignoring some issues out there, hoping the American people don't pick up on them. A good example was immigration, right. where they just ignored that. And then what you're seeing right now also in the cyber world with both Russia and what's happening with China and what's happening in Cuba, and it goes on and on. I, I think they're a one-trick pony, and the one-trick pony is COVID. And yet they don't give us any credit, meaning the Trump administration credit for developing a vaccine, not one, but three of them. Right. And we actually did have a distribution plan that was set in place that we passed to them and and going forward. So I think it's uh, I'm reinforcing what you just said. I I just can't find the policy that's out there. Yeah, it seems the few times I've actually said something about foreign policy is usually about climate change. It's not about the things that affect (laughs) Americans' national security. You know, they announced yesterday that they had detected this massive hack by China on the Microsoft email system. But that was it. They just announced, hey, we know. And the question is, well, do you punish China? I mean, they're a bad actor. If you're sitting in the White House and you're advising the president, what would you advise him to do with this China hack? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, you have to really dig a little bit deep on it. You know, to me, there's when it comes to cyber attacks and actually like the ransomware attacks, you got state sponsored and state sanctioned. Right. What I mean by state sanction, that's like turning a blind eye to it. And I think that's what the Russians have done a lot with Darkside and some of the others where they know it's in their territory, but they haven't done very much to put some reins on it. When state-sponsored, that's what's happening with the Chinese. And I mean, their Ministry of State Security is very clear that's where it came from. And, right. and they pushed out on it. So we know that President Xi and China has, has accepted the fact that the Chinese are, in fact, rolling in on it. Now here you ask a great question. What would I recommend if we were still in the Trump White House, what I'd recommend? I'd recommend you punch back really hard, which was by the way a Trump attribute, which I really admired. If you hit him, he hit back three times as hard. And and you go after him. But and if you tell him in advance. And we did that, by the way, when we talked with Putin, when we told him when we saw some ransomware attacks, we said, look, you come at us, we're going to come at you a lot harder than than you can come at us. And and when you look at what we've got with both Cyber Command and the NSA under Paul Nakasone, General Paul Nakasone, 
Right. We have tremendous tools that we can use. And I would have told President Xi, thank you very much. We're coming at you. And and I would come in, in some way and attack them using our cyber command to do the same thing. Wouldn't would announce it, wouldn't say it in public, but I'd go after it really hard. By the way, John, I, I got to be honest with you, too. The, the, a little bit of my frustration is is also with U.S. companies like with Microsoft. Yep. And that's what happened when they hit it. You know, people forget that. The vulnerabilities of Microsoft are pretty extensive. You know, every single month they have what's called a Patch Tuesday, which they yeah. patch once a month. And in June they had 129 security patches. This year alone, they've had over 600. You know, this is a company that last year had a profit of over 80 billion dollars. They bear some responsibility for this as well. And I'd I'd kind of pull in the the CEO uh, Nadella of, of Microsoft. I'd sit him down and say, look. We're, they're attacking through your products that, that's happening right now, and you got a problem with that. But I wouldn't let the Chinese off the hook, and I'd hit them. And that's what I'd tell the president. And honestly, I honestly think, John, Trump would hit him back. Yeah, I'm pretty certain he would have. Yep. It is remarkable, the muted response, and it, it had people confused in the first 24 hours about what the president's intention is. It's great that you announced it and you've detected it, but what's the resolution? And you're right about Microsoft. I mean, the from the moment Bill Gates began making his billions, Microsoft has always had so many more exploits in their in their software. And you would think with all the money they have that they could they could lock that code down in a way that it can't be attacked the way that um, it has been over the years. Well, another big front and one that I know the president, if it was President Trump, would be right out front on is Cuba. You know, this is a moment where the Cuban people have risen up. What's your assessment of what's happening on the ground and what should the American people be doing uh, and what is Joe Biden doing or not doing that he should be doing? Yeah, well, with Cuba, it's interesting. I think there's four factors involved with Cuba. One, I think the first one is is pretty important, that the fact there's no Castro in charge for the first time in over 60 years. So you don't amazing? have an iconic leader. Yeah. And when you know, it's just, so the, the people are probably saying, okay, we've lost the Castro, Castro name when Raul uh, left this year going forward. I think there's an economic issue there. They've got some real problems in the country. I mean, their economy is a Marxist socialist economy and it's broken. Yeah. The, the fact that COVID has hit them pretty hard and that we've been, you know, we can give them humanitarian aid when it comes to COVID vaccines that they haven't wanted any. They're actually trying to develop their own and they have two that are what they call in, you know, phase three trials right now, but it's sort of the same thing with Sinovac, which is a Chinese vaccine and also Sputnik, which is the Russian vaccine. I think, I think I'd say very much thank you, but no thank you for taking them. So they've got that COVID hit. But the most important thing I think that's happening out there is that people are finally wanting some real freedom that's out there. And you see that on the streets. You know, that that happened. There was over 60 cities involved uh, you know, involved in towns and cities, yeah. involved in demonstrations out there, which were really just came out of the blue. And I think it took the, the government a real, it took them by surprise. What would we do? We need to keep the sanctions on them. And people say, well, you need to reduce, you know, reduce the humanitarian sanctions. Well, the fact is, what people don't understand, that if you send money into Cuba, it's not going into the Cuban people's pocket at all. It's going to the government pocket. Right. I'll give you one example. Tourism. So if you go to a hotel in, in, in Cuba and you buy goods in the hotel and, and everything with the, going in there that you do as a tourist, that money actually goes into the pockets of the Russian, uh, Russians, Russians supported, it used to be, the Cuban military. It's an organization called Gaiza. Well, that's a, a, a Cuban military-sponsored business organization, and that's where the money goes. 
it doesn't go to your average Cuban that's out there. <laughs> you know, we in 1996, we actually have the Helms-Burton Act, which said, right. hey, look, if you want to reduce the sanctions, here's how you do it. We do a transformational and transition government that you finally go to full democracy that you have out there. And that's how you break it. I think you just need to keep the sanctions on, keep pushing them really hard. And the people are starting to see through this. Now, the part of the problem you've got is when you've got all the guns, that's a real problem. Yep. And the Cubans got all the guns. Yeah, the government definitely has the force and a well, well served both police force and, and army that would put down a rebellion, sadly. The messaging that the Joe Biden administration had on this uh, stay at home. If you come home, on, if you come over on a boat, we're going to send you back, even though you could walk through the southern border uh, without any problem. Uh, what message did that send to the Cuban people? And was that a mistake? Was that a missed opportunity? Well, I th- yeah, I think it's I think what they were talking about, they were concerned about the Mario's boat lift of a few years right. ago. But I think they sent a, a really terrible message that, you know, we don't really you know, we're really not that focused on it. And you, you're kind of on your own. I, I thought that the message that they sent was a terrible message in the sense that they keep saying don't come in the southern border. And yet they really it's a it's a wink and a nod. They really say, yeah, come across and let it go. And here we have people who are really, really concerned about freedom and and they want to have freedom in their country. And we're basically stiff on them and coming coming forward. I also think, John, if you want to the truth, I think there's an here's what I think they missed a boat and it's an underlying concern and they've got a big one is the Cuban American population of Florida is significant and they have turned off that population that's down there and they kind of, that Cuban American population that's down there, uh, it's going to hurt them on the next boat coming around because it's a very freedom loving people out there and and they're concerned about it. I just think we just sent a a terrible message out there and what's noticeable to me is you didn't have Tony Blinken talking about it. You didn't Not have at all. talking about it. You didn't have Biden talking about it. You didn't have Kamala Harris. I thought she had control of immigration talking about it. Yeah. You know, they basically turned that over to the HHS secretary. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, the uh, DHS DHS, secretary. yeah. It's almost like, well, if it's, if it's not, if, you know, you clearly sent a message. It's not that important. You have the wrong people talking about it. Yeah. As a reporter, I've really experienced three of these moments in my career. It was 86 with Romania, where President Reagan and George H.W. Bush as the vice president really said they had the back of the people in Romania. And that, of course, gave rise to the beginning of perestroika and the and the, uh, the fall of the Soviet Union. And then in 2009, I saw the Barack Obama administration do something very different when the Green Revolution began in Iran. And there was such a muted silence that the mullahs felt entirely comfortable about putting that rebellion down when there could have been a moment to overthrow the government. And now here we are with Cuba. And it seems like Joe Biden is leaning into the Barack Obama direction and not into the Ronald Reagan direction. Is there any chance he turns that around? No. One, you look at his advisors and most of those advisors, I believe, John, came out of the Obama administration. Yeah, that's right. Basically, just look at what the Obama administration did. He hasn't brought in a new group of thinkers out there. You know, remember Jake Sullivan was his NSA during eight years that they had basically of the Obama administration. And so his team is basically the old team coming forward. I don't think you're going to see a change in it. Um, and, and honestly, I don't think he's, you know, they talk about his foreign area expertise. I hate keep going back to what Bob Gates said about, about him uh, when he was the secretary of defense. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, he'd been wrong on every single national security issue in the last 40 years. And they asked Gates that question, do you really mean that? Do you, you think that's true? 
just last year, and Gates said, yeah, I really do, kind of doubled down on the fact that he's been wrong. You know, this yeah. is a guy, John, that, and it, to me, it's a really telling moment. Remember, this is the guy when in the Situation Room, when they were right. talking about going after Osama bin Laden. Yeah. They he went around the Situation Room, and he argued uh, to not go and get Osama bin Laden, hmm. basically give it more time. That kind of sets a tone of what kind of foreign policy. Absolutely. But when it came to when it comes to what the Iranians did, you know, back, you know, what we saw going on out there, you know, we saw it happen, you know, with 2019 on bloody November, with right. the, when they did it with the rising gas prices in 21 cities, and in Khomeini, the supreme leader was still there, but at that time you had Rouhani as president. You know, we really sanctioned him. We 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 put a pretty a lot of sanctions on him. We kept those sanctions on him. And we walked away from the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, uh, the, what they call the Iran nuclear deal. We you know, we abandoned that in 2018 because we didn't trust the Iranians, and we thought they were going to go for a breakout anyway. And oh, by the way, what a lot of people don't realize, one of the reasons we walked away from the Jikpoa was all of the sanctions were going to expire anyway. They you know they were all as a matter of time, all of them went away, and all of a sudden you had no agreement at all. And we said that can't be true. <clears throat> we can't. Excuse me. That can't happen because that just gives you an automatic breakout to a nuclear weapon. And exactly. what you don't have is a nuclear arms race in the Middle East. And that was our biggest concern is, is we already know the Indians got a weapon, nuclear weapons. We know the Pakistanis got nuclear weapons. Right. We know that allegedly, yeah, right, and that's winking and nod, the Israelis <laughs> have nuclear weapons. And then all of a sudden, what happens if the Iranians get them? Well, the Saudis are going to get them. Yep. Yes, sir, they're buying like them. They're already making moves. You can see moves on the, that they are making to try to get into the nuclear plate. So, uh, so we have a big, you know, big concern. The, the whole area is a mess, and, and you know, when you wrap it all up there and you put a bow around it, the fact is, I don't think they're really taking a lot of these things either seriously, or they just don't know how to react. I think the only reaction I'm seeing that is consistent is the reaction that if Trump decided it was a good idea, it's a bad idea. I guarantee you, yeah. if we had an executive order in the Trump administration that says that the the sun is going to rise from the east, I guarantee you they would have canceled from the West. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is amazing, the, the Trump derangement syndrome that still goes on. As you look out now, one of the things that we heard over the weekend that, you know, is really demonstrably false, but I'm just curious what you think of it. There were many in the left blaming the entire situation in Cuba on the Trump uh, sanctions. And in fact, they really has nothing to do with Trump sanctions. This was an island that in the 50s was the crown jewel of the economy of the Caribbean a robust island, and for 60 years it's been broken because communism broke it. How do you react to people who actually try to blame the sanctions rather than communism for, for Cuba's ailments? Yeah, well, look, John, the first time I hear that, I don't have a reaction because I'm actually speechless. Yeah. I mean, because it's so stupid. And, yeah. and you tell people, and I would tell anybody, I mean, that that just shows ignorance because it 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 really doesn't, I mean, you could almost write a book called Cuba for Dummies. <laughs> and put that out there and say, we might need to send that to the White House. I don't know. I'm getting nervous. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's really, I mean, the fact is, it's just not true. The government broke it. Um, they broke everything by having a Marxist socialist economy, a state run economy. Right. Uh, and, and when you look at that, people don't realize that most Cubans only make about $20, $20 a month. A month, right? Yeah. And it's, it, they just don't have something that, that they can, really tie themselves into. And, and we've actually had, uh, came up with a way, we meaning the United States, with the Helms-Burton Act, a way to, for them to come out of it. 
and we relieve sanctions out there. But to say that, they don't understand the rule of sanction. That's the reason I made the comment about Gaiza earlier, that they think that this money on sanctions hurts the Cuban people. No, it goes right into the government's back pocket. That's the reason I made that very specific comment about this uh, this Gaiza organization, which is run by the Cuban military that controls all the tourism down there. So you go down there and you spend money at a Marriott hotel and it goes into the, the Cuban pocket. It doesn't go into the people's pocket. Yeah. Oh, it's stolen right from them. And it has been for six decades. It's remarkable. You had a profound uh, tweet yesterday responding to General Petraeus and uh, the concern about uh, the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan. And I just want to read this point because I, I, I think a lot of the military leaders I'm talking to have are saying this maybe privately. You said it publicly. Maybe we should rethink how we wage war as Americans. That's a very profound statement. And when you look at where Afghanistan is now, what's the lesson of the 20-year war that we fought there? Yeah, boy, that's a great question. I've been really, really, you know, hard, hard over on it. Yeah. Um, I, I think the lesson learned, honestly, John, and we need to sit back. And, and this is what I tell all my general friends. You forgot how to wage war. Uh, you forgot what the role of the United States military is, which is to deter and if deterrence fails, to fight and win our nation's wars. It's not to nation build. It's not to get along. And for a lot of them to say, well, you know, it's uh, this is what we need to do and go along with it. I think it was huge. I think when like when Nick Nicholson, before he was Scotty Miller, was the commander of Afghanistan, when he said we're in a strategic stalemate and accepted that, I think that is not the American way of war. And I think we need to recognize that. We need to step back and say, how did we get to where we want to be at in this thing? And we just made some huge mistakes. It's the same thing I told the president, the same thing I told Vice President Pence. I said, look, what we need to understand is for the last nine years, the Taliban have been winning. That's what all the intel said. The fact is the Taliban are Pashtun. The Taliban are Afghans. It's their country. The only invaders in that country right now are, frankly, the, the people like the United States. And I mean, I go back to where years ago, there was a great article written in Foreign Affairs called The Graveyard of Empires. You know, people forget Alexander the Great in 327 BC. He couldn't conquer Afghanistan. And then the British tried it and they failed. And then the, the Russians tried it and they failed. That's, it is a nation that is really not a nation. It's a tribal country out there. And we went in there with, initially with the greatest of intent. And we did exactly what we were supposed to do in the first year, two years. And then we sort of said, thank you very much. We're out of here. But we tried to do something different. We tried to nation build. And our, and our generals... Fell, fell for that. And uh, they yeah. said, give me another day. Give me a little bit more money. Yeah. Give me more time. I heard them tell the president that inside the situation room. And the president finally caught on to it and said, no, we're not going to do that. We're coming out of it. This is an Afghan issue that the Afghans need to resolve. We haven't had any Taliban conducted a, a terrorist attack against the United States. We also, the Taliban agreed in February of a year ago, once we started withdrawal, they would not attack any U.S. forces. And they have not. There's been no Americans killed since February of a year ago after we came up and worked with the Taliban to do this. So, so people need to step back and say, how do we get here? Where do we need to go in the future? And how do we fight wars in, well in the future? Because the most precious asset are our sons and daughters. Look, John, my daughter served there. My son-in-law served there. My son served there. Mm. I've got skin in the game and had sure do. Seen him. Seen him when, I've seen them when they deployed and saw them when they came back. And it's, uh, so I, I've seen it very close, up close and personal. It is, it is pretty remarkable. And the lessons are, and you're right, the nation building is the part that the military wasn't built to do. And we, 
we spent 20 years proving that we weren't built to do it. We And uh, I think that's got to be the And I wonder if we have a generation of leaders today able to look with the clarity of that you just looked with and see the mistake we made there. You had you also had some pretty uh, strong words for General Milley. And I wonder if you could explain a little bit why you're frustrated with his, what appears to be a very political side to him. What, what's your take on, on the current uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs? Yeah, look, I, I'm, I came out pretty hard because I, I really believe in civilian control of the military. I think it's essential. I think it's a bedrock of our Constitution and where we go. And my point was, if true, and that what Mark said is true, then I think he violated his oath of office. What people don't understand is Mark Milley has got only one responsibility. Yep. He is the principal military advisor to the President of the United States, the National Security Council, and also to the Secretary of Defense. He's got no command authorities. All of the combat commanders report to a civilian, the right. Secretary, Secretary of Defense. Right. And the service chiefs, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps, Space Force, uh, all report to their respective civilian chain of command. For him to violate and not talk to the civilian chain of command, and for him to talk about it to his generals, there's a uniform code of military justice article, it's Article 94, which is actually mutiny and sedition, yep. and look at that. And I said, you have violated your oath of office, which you're supposed to do. He talks about an oath of office. The oath of office is support and protect the Constitution of the United States. Article 2 of the Constitution is very clear. That puts the president as commander-in-chief. I was with the president on 6 January. I was with the president for 1,461 days. He never did anything that I thought was egregious enough to, that even came close to supporting what Mark Milley said. And because of that, and then his comments he made about some of the president's supporters, I think he has violated his oath of office, and I think he should go. Now, the Democratic establishment won't let that happen. But I said, you now own this. And the next time this happens, you need to buy into it. You know, he said things that were worse than Stan McChrystal did, and Obama relieved Stan McChrystal. Yeah, so, that's right. I remember that. Yeah. Happened, yeah, somebody people need to sit back and really, really take a hard look at that. And that's where I was coming down on it because I'm, I'm an, a huge advocate of civilian control of the military, and I will lay you money. Uh, and I know for a fact, at least a couple instances, he did not talk to the civilian leadership, the, the leadership that is appointed over him. Wow, that is something we ought to dig in a little bit more. Maybe some Freedom of Information Act requests might be warranted yeah. there to really dig in and see what General Milley really did. Um, in the last minute we have, I just want to—I know, you, I know you're real busy. I just want to ask you: this, what, Describe a little bit. The people are just getting so excited about what the America First Policy Institute is doing, and describe some of the things that you're doing to extend the Trump doctrine into a new generation of American policies. Uh, it's such a, a fascinating and really early impactful. Uh, movement, and I'm just—I'd uh, love to hear people hear from you what you're what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, with, the reason we came out of the White House, and a lot of us were in the White House, and we set up the America First Policy Institute, and, and Brooke Rollins is the one who set up. She came sure. out of the policy piece. Is we really believe in the policies that really put Americans first, and Americans, what I mean by the people in Washington, Kansas, not the people in Washington D.C. And the policies that we put forward are very populist and relatively conservative ideas of going forward. And that's the reason why we supported the president taking, taking on big tech as well. But we thought the policies are good because we think what's important is the American people come first in everything we do that's out there. You know, people sometimes overlook the fact that, you know, when you look at the, the Constitution of the United States, it says you know, the first three bold words say, we the people. Yeah. 
And that's very important to us out there, that are we supporting the American people as, as we should going forward? And I think part of it, it actually comes from, a, from, a, from an international relations look for us. I go back to what was written uh, years ago. There was a, a professor called named Paul Kennedy and the rise and fall of the great powers. And he said that what happens is nations fall because of strategic overreach. We start spending our treasure and support, sending our military out to places it shouldn't be. And you actually fall from within if you don't watch it. And we're saying we don't want to go there. We're not saying we ignore the rest of the world, but we're saying if we support the American people and we make sure that the Americans come first, then we're better for the rest of the world because we're stronger at home. And we've got a unified organization in the sense, a unified people at home going forward. And that's what at AFPI we're trying to do that, not only in national security, but in economics, in immigration, in law enforcement, and everything out there going going forward. Yeah, it is a noble cause and such an important uh, movement. I mean, it's very rare for uh, a group of people to come out of the White House, you know, and change a presidency and have as much impact as what you and Brooke and the others have had. I mean, people are talking about all the work every day that you're doing, and it's got people excited, and you see this formation of a, of a longer-term doctrine uh, because of the great work that you and, and others are doing. And for that, uh, we're really grateful, Sarah, and also for your incredible service to your country because you, you've been an, an amazing and loyal, great American serving your country in the military and in, in the White House, and we are, we are blessed to have you. I will say that. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Thank you, General. We'll have you back on soon because I have a funny feeling we have a lot more foreign policy crises ahead of us in this administration. <laughs> John, I think you're right. Thanks, yeah. John. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. You too. All righty. Folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up for the day. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Justin News. So grateful you could be here today with the conversation we had with retired General Keith Kellogg, the great national security advisor to Mike Pence and the former chief of staff to the National Security Council under President Donald Trump. You heard what he said about Milley. You heard what he said about Cuba, what he said about China, where we are or where we lack understanding about the Biden foreign policy, because there doesn't seem to be a clearly articulated one. All of that with General Kellogg. Very lucky to have had him on the show today. We're very grateful. Check out the Freedom Phone. You know how to do that. Justthenews.com slash Freedom Phone. We've got a special offer. You get a big discount because you're a Just the News John Solomon Reports fan, subscriber, and you'll see exactly what a privacy-protecting, freedom-loving phone looks like. Great folks, Eric Finman. We're going to try to bring him back on this show later this week, and we're very excited that we're partnering to help bring attention and awareness to this phone. Its uh, software is groundbreaking. Its commitment to privacy is what really matters. All right. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition. Until then, this is John Solomon signing off at John Solomon Reports, the podcast from, you know, Just the News.